Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. Good morning, everybody. Merry Christmas. We're in the Christmas season. It's exciting, isn't it? I feel, I feel like I need some help up here today. Christmas season is exciting, isn't it? Yeah, okay, good. That's right. It's great. Great. Hey, before I get to the message today, I just want to give you just a, a quick shout out. You know, God has done a great work here. We really believed as a leadership that God wanted us to be um, out of debt, no debt for, for the church. Um, we really base that off of biblical principles that, uh, that are very clear in Scripture. And then also regarding we don't want to owe any man nothing except for the debt of love. And so uh, we want to be able to love better and serve better and reach our city better. And so we felt like this was something God was wanting to do. And this is exactly what I sense God speak to me about this year, us getting out of debt. And it was simply this, it was, Jason, I'm going to get the church out of debt, and I want you to invite my people to do it with me. That's what he said. And so there was a real confidence of, of like, God's like, I'm going to do this. And I was like, yeah, but Lord, how are you going to do it? He was like, I'll, I'll, I'll take care of that. Yeah, but Lord, that's, you know, this is a lot. And he's like, hey, can you just do what I'm telling? I'm like, yeah, I'll do that. So I want to invite you. We're in on the home stretch in December. Um, invite you to be a part of what God is doing. Um, if, if you want to join anything, join what God is doing. And God is doing this for us as the church. And we don't know even the, the, the bigger scope and picture. And many times God just gives us the next step. And so uh, we, have been, uh, we have been, by the grace of God, um, over the last several years, we've been paying normal. We paid a little extra. over, And uh, we came to the place, really, it's time now for us to Eliminate the debt that the church of Jesus Christ would not be in debt. As a church, we should not be in debt. What you do in business is your own personal lives and mortgage. Listen, that, there are principles about that too. But for us as a church, we want to be free. Jesus is our chief shepherd. We follow him. Amen. So, so I want to just ask you to pray over the next couple weeks and, and engage in what God is doing. And be a part. Whether I'm, I'm being, whether it's a dollar, it's a five dollars, it's a hundred dollars, whatever it may be for you, ask God what it, what it is, and that we as a church would join together and give that we could celebrate that we're debt free by the end of 2023. Um, currently, right now, this is our total. Um, we are at 645. So this is what's remaining. Um, look, I mean, we've gone from three million. All the way down to 645. It's incredible. 
And I want us to pray together right now that God would eliminate our debt by the end of the year and he would move on, on our hearts to, to give above and beyond our normal tithe that we would give to this. And so, Lord, we today, um, Lord, first off, we want to say thank you for just the work you're doing. But, God, we, we want to together walk this with you through the end of December and see you incredibly come through. So, God, we are so grateful. And so, God, I ask you today that you would lay on our hearts what you would like for us to give towards this debt. That, God, if this is our house, that we would be a part of this unique opportunity that, uh, that we'll never have the chance to do ever again as long as I'm leading. <laughs> Lord, I ask you that you would bless our people and that you would prosper them and that, God, together we'd be celebrating through the obedience of your people the paying off of this debt and through your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, we're going to continue the series on Unlikely Choice, which is our Christmas series, and we're going to be leading into Christmas Eve, and we'll conclude the series on Christmas Eve as um, the title of that message is Unlikely King. But leading up to that, I, we've been looking at characters in this incredible story uh, and account. I don't like calling them stories because it's not a story. of an account of the birth of Christ and the coming of the Messiah to the world. This is what we celebrate around Christmas. That's what it's all about. It's all about Jesus. And so we've looked at the different characters and how unlikely it would be. Why would God choose them? And why would God choose Mary or Joseph? And how, what does this have to do with us? With us. And what we're seeing is that God likes to do things differently than what we thought or how we think he should do them, doesn't he? We know that in our own lives. I, I, listen, I've followed the Lord since I was a young man, and I'll have to tell you this. I can't ever think of a time that God was moving and doing things in my life where I was at the end of it was like, hey, that's exactly how I thought you were going to do that, God. It's never happened. Because God likes to do unlikely things to the human mind. He likes to do things that go, what and how in the world and how does that fit? Today, we're gonna look at some characters that were unlikely choices. They were really unknown and, it's, and when you see it, you go, what is this and why these people and why did God put them in here? Why did God put them in, in, in this story? And this account is only found actually in Matthew. Out of all of the gospels, we find these people in Matthew and Matthew alone. But it's a fascinating story how God took some unlikely people that were not Jewish and he wove them into this story of the coming Messiah. And so we're going to go on a journey today. And uh, it's, it's, it, they went on a long journey and I, I, I'm hoping you're, you're landing on who they are. We don't know their names. We, we don't have a lot of details, but what we do know is they are the account of the arrival of Jesus to this earth. And the arrival of Jesus, the Son of God, in the town of Bethlehem through Mary, a virgin, with her faithful man by her side, Joseph, these men go and visit them. For 2,000 years, the story of this first Christmas has been told over and over again. And I want to look at these unlikely choices today and learn from them. And I'm just going to tell the story and narrate through it and, and let, allow the word to speak to us. But we're looking at the unlikely choice of the Magi. Why would God involve them into the story of his coming son? 
And so we're introduced to the Magi, which translated means wise men, in the first verse of chapter 2 of Matthew. And this is what it says. Matthew writes, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. It sounds a little obscure, like, uh, okay, that's cool, I think. I don't know. What's a, what, what's a Maggie? I'm a Magi. What, you know, what, who is this? Who are these people? But there's a lot of mystery surrounding these men. And what people maybe know or don't know is these men weren't just wise people who sat around and had good thoughts. No, they were astrologers. They were students of the stars. They were also students of, of many other things. And we get, where we get our name, magician, is where this, the, what they're called here is the magi. But when you think of these men, don't think of like David Blaine and David Copperfield, okay? They're, they're not like, you know, pick a card, any card. This is not these magis. They were different. They were mysterious. And the Bible doesn't give us a lot of details about them. And I know our tradition puts three wise men at the manger. And I don't mean to pop your Christmas bubble. And you can still keep them there in your manger. It's fine. But the Bible doesn't tell us how many there were. And we probably concluded because they brought three gifts and... We sing the song, we three kings. So we're like, oh, it's three kings. That's, that's what it is. But we don't know how many. Some traditions of the, like the, the Eastern Orthodox, they would say they, they think there was 12. It's very interesting as you look into this a little bit. But we don't know how many there, there were. We don't know their names. And I know some people get hung up on what, what we don't know. But we have enough here on what we do know and I believe God wants to speak to us. What we know about them is that they, they came from the far east. The first verse we read in the scripture says, the Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. So they're on a journey from somewhere else to Jerusalem. So they had to travel west because they were coming from the east. I know that makes, I didn't need to explain that, but I'm just saying that. So, so the star, they're following a star. And they followed it west to Jerusalem, the capital of Israel. You ever wondered why? What, 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 what was this all about? Why did they do this? The Magi at the time, they, and they were people of great power, influence. Magi were used to being around royalty and kings. They were consulted by royalty. They were consulted by kings and queens. They were the upper class, scholarly upper class of the Persian Empire. So this means they didn't wake up one day and say, you know what, I think, I think let's take a camel and go to Jerusalem. And they just did it and went. No, this was a planned event and they just didn't show up on their own camel. They would have traveled with an entourage. They would have traveled probably with some protection um, because we know they were carrying gifts. They would have traveled with, with a caravan. This was a significant showing up of traveling. And when they arrived, everybody knew it. This was not, the, hey, let's go out to the, to the fields and look at the stars together. These men were well-known, they were respected, they had roles in religion and politics and knowledge of mathematics and science and, and agriculture. 
But what's interesting is these types of men just didn't show up in Matthew and the story of Jesus. We learn about these types of men actually from the book of Daniel, 600 years earlier before this account that we're, that we're looking at today. They were among the highest ranking officials in Babylon. In one instance, Daniel was able to interpret one of Nebuchadnezzar's dreams, but they had failed. So Daniel gets a promotion and the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And that word there is magi. So Daniel, 600 years earlier, was the leader of the magi. Which means it's very likely that he would have taught them about the Torah. He would have taught them about the prophecies. He would have taught them about, about the Bible, about God. He would have spoke of a coming king that was worked and embedded into the hearts of every Jew, that there will come a, a savior to the world that our prophets have spoken of and told us about. And he would have passed those teachings on to the Magi, and they would have continued to pass them on through the generations. They were always learning and open to knowledge. What a lot of people aren't aware of, though, is that the Jewish, the ancient Jewish, um, the, the Jewish world was connected to not just, just the things of the Bible. They had an a worldview regarding everything. So they have a God worldview regarding everything. So they would look at the stars and be like, well, God made the stars. Um, God made the sun, the moon. He put them there. God's in control of them. You can look at there when you look up at night. I was just doing this last night. You look up, there's patterns and they're like straight lines. And you're like, that's a, that looks just like a Christmas tree. And that's really cool. And so you can tell there's order. And there's something go, going on. And because they had an awareness that God is in control of the stars and control of the sky, that maybe God's saying something through them. And we can understand that God is doing something if, and, and up to something because there's something of, of these stars. Today, though, that there is, there is that. It's a... It's a um, a road of theology, it's called astrotheology. And it's just looking to the stars to see what God was saying or within history. And we'll look at that in just a moment. It's not to worship them, it's not to get your fortune told from them. That's not what I'm talking about. This is about looking about what, what is what, and going back in history and realizing what God was saying through some of the constellations and the stars. This is about keeping God as the creator, not some universe that's going to help me in my life, okay? So this has nothing to do with modern astrology. This has nothing to do with our personal futures or our signs. I made my point, right? Okay. This is about, there was an understanding that the fingerprint of God and what he was doing and what he, was, what he was up to was imprinted on creation. And they had this, this worldview. 
And what's interesting is what we find here is that there was something going on in the heavens of the stars that was pointing to the pinnacle of God's purpose of the coming Messiah and King to the earth. And these magi knew about it. How did they know about it? How is it that they concluded? They had knowledge that there was a king of the Jews. And they knew that the sky somehow was going to help them find him. These are men who have been around all kinds of leaders and kings and rulers. And they had a desire. There's a king that's coming that we're going to have to go meet. And the stars are going to tell us how to get there. God is going to use the stars. So... They roll into town, into Jerusalem, no hesitation, and they just straight up ask the question in verse 2, hey, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? Because they're thinking, hey, other people are going to know because it's the king. They're looking for, for a king that's established. They're looking for something. And then, then it goes on to say, we saw his star, which I love that, his star. When it rose... And have come to worship him. So they had an understanding somehow. This is not a king they were going to come and, and pay respects to. This is not a king they were going to come and, and see if they can politically do, you know, work, work together. This was a king they understood they were coming to worship. This was a different king than they had ever been around ever before. This is a different king than they have ever consulted ever before. This is a king that they want to come and be consulted by, not them give him their information. It's really interesting that actually the star is connected to other things of the Old Testament. There's a, there's a story in Numbers Chapter 22. And the story is of Balak and Balaam. And in the book of Numbers, it's about the journey of God's people from Mount Sinai, on, and they're on the edge of the promised land. And there was a king who did not like the children of Israel because he, couldn't, he, he could tell they're powerful, he could tell their God is with them, and he was frustrated. And just like most, most leaders, within those days, they were insecure and looking to eliminate any threats. So the king Balak calls for Balaam. And the Bible says that Balaam is a magician and a seer, which is kind of weird. You're like, what does that mean? And so he says, he says, can you come here and I want you to curse the children of Israel. And so Balaam's like, okay, but then God makes it really clear. Hey, Balaam, you cannot curse them. They, these, are, these are my people, but this is what I want you to do. I want you to bless them, which I think is a great spiritual principle, that which Satan or people want to curse over you. Listen, God stands at guard in your life. He's like, I don't think so, but you're going to open your mouth and you'll end up blessing them. It's a great principle. But so he, he obeys God and Balaam blesses the children of Israel and he does it three times. And then, be, then all of a sudden, this third time, we begin to see something that's helping us connect the dots that, that, that the Magi had to also connect. And so Numbers 20, 24, the prophecy of the one who hears the words of God, who has knowledge from the Most High, who, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who falls prostrate, and whose eyes are open. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. 
A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. This is a, this is a literal star. This is not, a, not like an American idol is going to come out of, the, the, out of Jacob. No, this is a star. It's something that is still connected to something that's, that's happening here. They were connecting the, what, what was happening in the heavenlies, also what was happening on earth, that God was doing something. God was prophetically speaking of the coming of the anointed one. So Magi from the east following a star to the king of the Jews is a fulfillment of the prophecy of that star and of this prophecy we just read. And we also get to see now, so they, they're, they're thinking, let's go find the star. Let's go find the, the scepter out of Israel. And we know this is Jesus Christ when he came into the world, fully man and fully God. He came as the one that these stars were pointing to, a scepter. In other words, a leader. So this prophecy of a star. And there's, there's this other language in here that there's going to be a light from, of this star, both physical, also spiritual and physical, that the nations would come to. It's beautiful. But that language is not just found in numbers. It's found towards the end of the book of Isaiah as well, written 700 years before Jesus. Isaiah 60, arise and shine. For your light has come. The glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth. Thick darkness is over the people. But the Lord rises upon, upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar and your daughters are carried on the hip. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The, the, the wealth of the seas will be brought to you to the riches of the nations will come. Herds of camels will cover your land. Young camels of Midian, which is, which is to the east of Israel. And Ephah, which is southeast. All from Sheba will come bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. So once again, we have this prophecy that they would have been aware of that the, that the nations of the world are coming to this king, this king that, that obviously everybody's gonna stream to, everybody wants to see. And it's the light, he's the light of the world that this is not about a king of a nation, this is a king that all nations are going to come and worship. And so they're going to, and also that prophecy says, and people are going to bring gifts. So the Magi show up obeying this scripture. And they're going to worship. And we know that light that they come to is the light of Jesus. Such a powerful picture. What I love about this is we do have the picture of the Magi that come. And what I love about it is the first people that come and they worship Jesus are from another nation. We don't, we don't have in scripture that the shepherds worship, but we do have the, the magi bowed down and worshiped. It's a beautiful picture of the purpose of the arrival of Jesus was for the nations of the world to stream through him and to be healed and to be restored. It's a beautiful picture and this is what the magi understood. 
They understood this is not a mere king of the Jews. Something about this king according to these prophecies. This is the king of the world. So the Magi set out to find him. So it would make sense that you find yourself going to Jerusalem. The capital of the Jewish people where the king of the Jews should be. Where the, the child was prophesied he, he would be born. And so they roll into town. Now, they didn't roll into town just like with a little, little donkey. Listen, this was their, they were on a camel. They, were, they had an entourage. They, it was massive. Everybody knew who were these people. And they come into town and they lead with this question. Um, where can we find the king of the Jews? And everybody looks at them like, what are you talking about? Yeah, we came to look at the king. We, we came. The scriptures say. But their questions make their way through somebody, through some channels to King Herod. Matthew 2, verse 3 and 4, when Herod, the king, heard this, he was troubled. And all Israel with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So this is interesting. He's like, hang on a second. There's a prophesied king that's supposed to come. And, so, and, and the Jewish people know this. But there was a problem for, for King Herod. And the problem was this, because he actually had been given the title king of the Jews. So this is one thing a powerful king does, never tolerates competition for his throne. Herod was a very insecure leader. He had his wives and sons at various times murdered when he suspected they weren't loyal to him. There's some really ridiculous things that, that, that he did. But what's also interesting is these Jewish chief priests and teachers of the law, they knew where the Messiah would be born. And what's so interesting, they knew that people would come to see him and hear this, this, these wise men from, a, from the Far East show up looking for the king of the Jews and they don't connect the dots. They had actually been appointed by King Herod as now leaders in Judaism. So this was about more of a privileged role for them. So they, they missed what was happening because they were enamored in their own power and they missed the arrival of the Savior. They could have been a part of it, but they missed it. So Herod has to figure out how to extinguish his competition. So he calls a meeting with the Magi, with the wise men. Says Herod summoned the wise men, and this is verse starting verse seven, secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And you know this is I, this this grosses me out. I I I have a manipulation meter that seems very sensitive, and like he's manipulating right here. My spidey sense would have been like you're you're not a good person. I think though I don't know. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, "Oh, go and search." Diligently for the child. And look at this. And when you found him, bring me a word so that I too may come and worship him. This was not his intention. And we find later in the story of Christmas that Herod was lying and he, he wanted to annihilate Jesus no matter what it took. He was willing to kill all these firstborn sons under the age of two. Matthew 2.9 
We continue. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place the child was. Now, I can only imagine what they're feeling. Because they came in ready to meet a king. They understand what it takes to get an audience with a king. They understand there are hoops you got to jump through. They understand there are customs. And they also understand you need to show up with gifts. This is a very traditional thing. They understand that there is a, there is a process of getting, the, of getting an audience with the king. They had come thousands of miles, probably confused. They're asking around, king of the Jews? They're like, I don't know what you're talking about. So then all of a sudden, here they are. They've traveled thousands of miles and after they meet with Herod, all of a sudden, these, this star begins to lead them. And I'm sure, they've, think about they've traveled. They've talked about the prophetic, like they've, re, they've reread certain things about the star. The utterance of what the star is going to lead them. And that this star is going to lead us to the king of the world. Maybe they, could have, they would have read from, from old um, documents and some of their history about Daniel who also was speaking this and like, wow. And so for the Magi, all of a sudden, the star stops, not over a palace, but over a, a carpenter's house. And they go, Huh. Now, it doesn't say, huh, in there, but that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> They're like, all right. Obvious the star is there. And so for the Magi, after all of this waiting, after God doing supernatural things with them as well, when they laid their eyes on Jesus, it was the fulfillment of their journey, why they had come all this way, why they had had to search and go from this place to this place and meet with a king and then later find out, oh, he's trying to manipulate us and God's interacting with us so that he, he, this, is, this is, we're a part of this story. And I hope I don't pop any of your Christmas bubbles, but the Magi's first encounter with Jesus was many, 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 many months after the birth of Jesus. And the Bible says Mary and Joseph and Jesus were now in their home at this time. So even though they didn't show up at the manger, which again, we'll just still keep them there because we like that. Makes it simple. They showed up. And they walked to this home. And they, they pull up with all of the caravan. And their servants are with them. And I don't know, I don't know how you start. What, what, you're like, star. And they open the door. And they see this king. Little toddler. I'm sure they couldn't contain their joy and their gladness. They'd come all this way. And they respond to Jesus. 
and the only appropriate way. They model how we also are to respond to Jesus. I mean, these are important, powerful, wealthy men from the East, probably well-known in other nations. They open the door to this humble carpenter's house, and this, this is their first response. Verse 11, going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. They worshiped him. These are men who know the appropriate thing to do when you're in the presence of royalty. And the only appropriate way that when you are in the presence of someone that is superior and God is to bow and worship. It's the only appropriate response. And after they gave Jesus worship and worshiped him and, and, and said, I, I, don't, I don't know what they said. I, I, don't, know, I, I don't know if they, they were singing. I, I don't know if Seth was there. Maybe Seth was playing. I don't, we don't know. But they worshiped him. This was a cry of their heart. We found the king. We found him. And then immediately, they gave Jesus his first love offering. Then opening their treasures. I want you to know, opening their treasures. They offered him gifts and gold and frankincense and myrrh. I'm sorry to pop your other Christmas bubble. It was not a little chest with red velvet lining. <laughs> they came prepared for the king of the world. They know what it takes to get an audience. And I don't know how much gold they brought into that house. And man, that was probably the best smelling house in the whole neighborhood. But they brought it to the king. There's no, there's no subtle, subtle anything that they were disappointed. They worshiped and they gave him their gifts. And I believe these unlikely choices of what, what is this about is a great example for us on how we respond to Jesus. It's examples for us of how we respond to Jesus with honoring him through worship like we did this morning. And even as they bowed, that takes effort. And many times when we come to worship, it's not a sense of like, maybe some of you are because it's your personality. You're like, oh, I'm ready to worship. Come on, let's go. Which is great. But sometimes it's like, Lord, I'm hurting. Lord, I'm struggling. Lord, I'm mad. And Lord, I... 
ascend. But this is the model that when you are in the presence of Jesus, which he's with us always, but when we come to worship him, that it's an act of worship. And we bow and we give him what he rightly deserves. And we give him what more than anything he can give us, we give him our worship, our adoration. It's really interesting I mean, when you look at the gifts that they gave and what they connect to. And there's, you know, there's, other, there's other possibilities, but you have this gold that is representing the royalty and kingship of Christ the frankincense, which was, is emphasizing the, the deity. This is not just a man. This is God. And then you have the myrrh, which is showing the humility of Jesus. It has different purposes, myrrh. And it appears at his birth. But it also appears at his death. Jesus, being on the cross, was offered myrrh. So at the cradle to the cross, this connects the dots that God, his heart, the purpose of Christmas, the example of this Magi, is that God wants to God wants to do things in our life, and he wants us to, to come to him. He wants us to respond. He wants us to be a part of his story that he's telling on the earth. Unlikely, but still chosen. And these men never thought for a second that we'd be talking about them today. These men never thought, how can I get a book deal about this thing? I wonder how many followers I can, I can pick up off of this in, encounter. And Hey, Mary, would you mind? Can I hold? Can you take a picture of me or take a selfie? Like, if this is about adoration and worship and surrender and complete submission to a toddler. They were from an unknown nation. Their names are unknown, and afterwards it's unknown. And God took these influential, wealthy men and wove them in the story of the coming of our Savior. This account of the Magi and the story of Christmas reveals, it shows us that we have an invitation from God to be a part of what God is doing on the earth, but it's not for the purpose of doing. It begins with the purpose of worship. We've just, we spent a couple months looking at what does it mean to live under the, the, the lordship of Christ, and it's about bringing glory to God through our life. Not, not compartmentalizing, oh, that's secular, that's sacred. No, no, in Christ, everything you do is ministry. 
Whether it's business, whether it's, it's, it's a barista, whether it's, no matter what you do, it is ministry because you are a king and a priest called to bring the kingdom of God wherever you are, in your, in your marriage and with your children. Everything is, Lord, I want to give you glory with my life. Everything is about God. I want to worship you. Everything is about God. I want you to be known through my life. I don't even need to be known. You don't need to know my name. You don't need to know any of that. Like, God, I want Jesus. It's all about you. And we see this example with the Magi. They just give them everything. And they are part of this story for a purpose. To remind us that God wants you and everything about your life, he wants to use it for his glory. And he wants to ask you to do things that seems a little weird at times. I mean, the Magi, they were fine. They were the upper Persian empire class. They were, they were good. They didn't have to travel thousands of miles, but guess what? You may be successful, you may be a, a millionaire, you may have everything set, you, may, you, you might be getting ready to make your last mortgage payment, or, and then all of a sudden God's like, hey, knock, knock. You want to go on a journey with me somewhere? And sometimes in the American dream, we miss the adventures of God because we think what God wants for us is what makes us most comfortable and most happy. That is nowhere in the Bible. So for us, we, we engage in the story of God and we worship and we give and we serve and we obey him and we join together as a family and we, we take care of each other's needs and then we take care of our community's needs and we do it all not to be known, but to give him glory, that he would be glorified because one day, one day like the Magi, what, they, they came and worshiped, one day he will return and when he returns, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, every nation will be represented. We will worship him. But this is their example. We're to withhold nothing from him. We're to withhold nothing. And here's the ending question and point. After we've seen this example of the extravagance of the magi, the worship, the the connecting of the dots of the celestial sky. And, but they come to a carpenter's house. And they give him what they have. The question for us today is, what is it that you have not brought to Jesus? What is it that you haven't surrendered? This isn't a, a big finger pointing at you saying, well, you better give it. No, no, this, this is an understanding of an opportunity that whatever you put in God's hands, whatever you surrender, whatever you decide, 
I'm doing this for your glory. It's the greatest fulfillment you will ever have. There were seasons that Cheryl and I have had to make decisions that were painful to follow God. And those seasons I comically call the horrific, wonderful season with God. But when you look back, though, you go, oh, God was with us over our journey, over our suffering at times. God was with us. When we sacrifice, God was with us. And this is what, at times, the Lord's asked us to do some funny things. And, and this was, we were, we were struggling for um, resources. We're missionaries. And the Lord spoke to us very clearly. I don't want you to ask people directly if they would support you. And I remember thinking, okay, God, but can I ask churches? (laughs) Can I ask mission pastors? He said, no. So we we informed. That's what we did. And we said, why, God? Like, this isn't in the, you know, the... Uh, raising friends and, you know, I, you know, friend raising, I guess, is one of the main books of like. And he said, because I want to prove to your generation that I can be trusted through your life. God asked us to do something so that he can get glory through our actions and then prove to other people around this is what, who God is. And God's looking for people who are like, God, wait, just use me. Take what I have. And use me. So, what is it that you have not brought him? And this is about everything. I'm not talking about just all the good stuff. What is it that you have withheld from God within worship him? Sometimes you worship him with tears of sorrow, but you are bringing him your sorrow. Sometimes you, you give when you're, you're like, Lord, I, I, I don't know but how this is financially going to work out, but I'm going to do it and be faithful. And what, what is it that God is leading you to that really is an opportunity for him to show his glory through your life, that he is who we say he is? And all of us are diff- have different contexts today. So I just I want to take a moment. Just ask you right where you are. If you close your eyes with me, that would be great. But I want, you to, I want you to picture Jesus in front of you. And he is pleased with you. He loves you. He adores you. Just spend a moment right there. And ask him. What do you want me to give you? What have I withheld from you? Because it all belongs to you anyway. It could be pride. It could be bitterness. It could be a stronghold of sin in your life. It could be anger. Could be your business. Could be your education. 
could be your location. Could be your house. Could be a car. Could be convenience. Could be your time. Could be your your family. And we want to worship you, Jesus, with all that we are. We want to worship you. Lord, we want to come and adore you. We want to give you, God, all the glory and all the honor. So, Lord, take it today. We come and we worship you fully, completely. And we surrender our lives to you totally and completely to you. God, we thank you for what the season represents and the invitation that is always to us to come and adore and worship and join my story and what I'm doing on the earth. And God, may you do ridiculous things through our lives for your glory and Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Come on, let's give God a hand today. Well, friends, I love you very much. Grateful for you. If you need prayer, our prayer team will be honored to pray with you. If you want more information about who we are as a church, you can stop by our, our Connect Center out there or scan the QR code. God bless you. I love you. Merry, Merry Christmas to you. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like to watch a service live online, you can join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. at live.faith.church. For everything else, visit faith.church. That's faith.church.